Hi, I'm Philip Santillan, pastor of Clarity Church, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen or view this podcast of a message from one of our Sunday gatherings. Before we get going here, I just wanted to communicate to you the deep conviction we have regarding this message. This free message resource is not intended as a broadcast ministry, which would create virtual attenders listening from home rather than getting involved in their local church. We hope that no matter where you are on your faith journey, that this podcast is only supplemental to your relationship with the Lord and in no way replaces the local church that you should be plugged into or the pastor God has put over your life to lead you and care for your soul. So please enjoy this incomplete portion of this past week's gathering. We have prayed that God would use it in a profound way in your life and that from it, you would gain clarity on who Christ is. Well, hey, good morning. How are you doing? I'm excited to be here this morning. How about you? Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Hey, if you are a guest here this morning, I want to welcome you to Plymouth Creek Elementary. We are Clarity Church, and uh, we are just so glad, especially if you're our guest here this morning, that you have decided to spend part of your weekend with us. And of all the options that you have to fill this weekend, the precious days of maybe for some of you time off that you get, we really, we really consider it an honor that you are with us this morning. And uh, really, this is the reason why those of us who, calls ourse- who call ourselves Clarity, uh, we, we get up at the, can I say butt crack of dawn? Is that okay? Can I say that? Um, I already said it, so it doesn't matter. <clears throat> but it's, it's why many of us get up real early and uh, set up stages and get chairs ready, simply because we look forward to those of us um, uh, who are not only part of the Clarity family, but we, we especially do this for you, who are maybe our guests and, and maybe you don't believe everything you've heard about the Bible and who Jesus is, but you're looking for some clarity on who Christ is. And, and that's what we hope, that this morning you would gain just a little bit more clarity on who Christ is. Now, last week we began a short series entitled The Bridge. And just in case you were here and maybe you fell asleep or maybe I wasn't really that interesting at all, or, or maybe you just happened not to be here last week, here's a quick rundown of what you missed. I, I just want to kind of catch us all up to speed. First is this. First, uh, we talked about this, and I don't really have time to talk about this, but uh, I just kind of want to touch on these phrases because it's really important as we, as we talk today, as we kind of continue in this series. First is this. God sent his son to do the work of the initial bridge between himself and his creation so that we who follow Christ can now be the bridge that stands in the gap for those disconnected from God. All right? So uh, deeply entrenched in our belief as those who follow Jesus is that Jesus was the one who bridged the gap between us and God because of our sin. And we talked about this last week. And so I'm not going to rehash all that kind of stuff. But, but Jesus was the first kind of bridge. And now we are the kind of bridge that God has in plan for all of creation. Because remember, Jesus is, is not physically here. Now he's, his spirit is with us. And he has now said that those who are followers of Christ, who are the church, is the body of Christ. And so that, you know, and if you missed that last week, you just kind of have to catch up. So this is kind of the, the, the foundation, what we laid down. And then we also said this, the bridge is the church, who are the followers of Christ that live life as family and servants on mission together. And that's who the church is. That is the bridge that we're kind of talking about today and for this series. And then what I did is I encouraged everyone to get involved in a community, especially a one with uh, babies and old people. Um, those are the best communities. 
as Jeff, uh, if you weren't here last week, Jeff kind of picked on me because we had someone from my community share about community, and that video was shot from people who all, all from the community that I'm a part of. And so I, I just said, if you've got talents in video making, then you can stink and make your own video. And so they've, they've threatened to make a video parody, and you might see that sometime soon. We love our community group. Meow, meow, meow. Anyways. Um, those are in the young adult community get that. All right. So here we go. Uh, but last week, I, I, you know, we, we set this metaphor, right? We set this metaphor up of the church as a bridge. And it really does make sense. But when it comes to bridges, the question that sometimes doesn't get asked is what? Can a bridge ever stop being a bridge? And that was last week. And if you missed it, you can always visit our website and catch up on any of the messages you've missed. And how many of you appreciate that Gary is healthy and he's getting these messages back online? Thank you, Gary. Man, we love you. Just want to give a shout out to you. And, uh, and, and it's so funny because I never know who actually listens to our podcast until they're missing. And I get emails. I've been getting emails uh, and, you know, since Gary was kind of like MIA for a little bit. And just people from all over the world are like, hey, what happened to your podcast? I'm like, they're really not that interesting. Don't worry. And they're like, but we want to hear them. I'm like, all right. Okay. And, uh, but we appreciate you, Gary. Thanks, man. Uh, and, the, and really the whole production team, they just do a great job of putting that together, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, that was last week. And, uh, and so if you missed it, go watch the video. I think uh, he's going to upload that soon. And, um, you know, uh, and I just have to warn you. Watching me sing and perform all the single ladies in person is way better. So now you're like, I got to watch this if I didn't see this. So. so last week was about how bridges connect. And this week, this week is about how bridges support. Okay? Because bridges that are healthy both connect and support. Bridges that are, are working properly connect to bodies of, of, of you know, you know, it spans a gap, but it also supports that which is traveling over that gap. And the same can be said of churches that, uh, that are supposed to be like bridges, which are connecting people and supporting people who are turning to God. Makes sense, right? But, a bri- but here's a question. But a, can, a bridge, can a bridge ever stop being a bridge? Can a church ever stop being a church? And if a bridge could stop ever being a bridge, what could we do to prevent bridges from, from failing? Or, or how, can we, how can we look at what caused a bridge to not continue to be what it was created to do? What, what could we find in that answer regarding maybe real bridges that we find about the bridge we are calling the church? Take a listen to this. A bridge collapse in Washington state, part of the four-lane construction broken over the Scargate River between the towns of Mount Vernon and Burlington. The collapse on Interstate 5 happened on Thursday evening. Vehicles and people in the water, but no one is thought to have been seriously injured. The highway and bridge are the main route for car traffic between Seattle and the Canadian border, but people are being urged to avoid the area, after the system to alert emergency workers was overloaded by calls made from land and mobile phones. 
This raises the concern about the state of infrastructure in the US and whether bridges like this one built in the 50s are being checked often enough. So last week we looked at what many of us who are from Minnesota remember the fall of the, uh, the, the Mississippi Bridge, right? Remember St. Anthony, Mississippi Bridge, and we talked about that. And, and really all over the country around that time and even earlier, this was in May of 2013, this was a bridge in I-5. If you're from California and the West Coast area, you know I-5 is one of the largest roads in, that runs along the West Coast. And uh, in, in May of 2013, this was a, the, the Skagit River Bridge was uh, not structurally deficient. That's why people were still using it. But it was denoted to be what they called fracture critical. Fracture critical. For anyone's an engineer, you probably know what that is, but I wasn't, and I had to research this, and this is what I found about fracture critical. Really, a bridge that is fracture critical is, in its design, it's lacking a redundant supporting system. This means that uh, a failure to one means the collapse of the whole. And as scary as it sounds, and here's what's crazy, here's the what's, here's what's crazy thing about real bridges, Fracture-critical bridges, right, which have really, uh, you know, critical fractures, way to say that if it was broken, the whole thing would go down. Fracture-critical bridges are actually deemed perfectly safe. As long as they remain structurally sound. That sounds stupid. It's like, it's safe until it breaks. Well, duh. (laughs) Right? But this is the logic that, that they were using. And the I-5 bridge was apparently fracture critical. Uh, The the very thing that made the bridge, probably you could say the bridge was falling apart and it was being neglected and, and we knew that if this thing was to collapse, the whole thing would collapse, but everything was okay. So it was considered to be safe. One of the things that we learned about bridges that is true about churches is that a bridge... Uh, is a bridge that needs to be maintained, right? Last week, we learned that the lesson about keeping bridges from falling is that they need to be maintained. And this series is, is about having a frank conversation, and, and you'll understand what I mean in just a little bit when I say frank. Um, and what makes, we have this conversation, what makes the local church a bridge which not only connects people to God, but supports people on their journey to God. So, let me just dive in here real quick. I don't have any cute stories today, but I really ha- I want to talk something about a real serious subject today. And it's really asking this question. What makes a church a bridge that's built to last? What makes a church a bridge that's built to last? Well, the easy answer is this. The church is a community of individuals committed to one another. That is how a church is built to last. And so the question is, if, if the church is a community of people committed to one another, it's not a building, it's not the pastor and his minions, okay? It's not, you know, it's, it's not, but it's the people, right? Here's the church, here's the people, look inside and here's the one. <laughs> Anyone know that? Okay, it's just me. Oh, wait. But, you know, there's the people, right? They're really small. Um, but the question is, is how do we live in commitment towards one another? Well, uh, I want to suggest a couple things and take a look 
at a passage of scripture that I think really makes this very, very clear. And, uh, and so if you just bear with me, we'll, we'll talk about these things that I believe helps a church be committed towards one another, and then we'll kind of close it up and, and hopefully we'll make sense of it all. Is that okay? So here's, here's the first thing. How do we live in commitment towards each other? It's, it's first is this. We accept that community is messy. We accept that community is messy. Everyone say, community is messy. Okay, good. I got you to admit it. This may seem quite opposite of what kind of most people think about church and what a healthy church is supposed to look like. You know, for a lot of people, a lot of people, church is for perfect people, or at least for people who are trying to be perfect or want to be perfect or want to become perfect, right? That's the, that's the notion of what church is about. But healthy community is made up of people who have the humility to understand that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standards, right? The Apostle Paul, who um, we're going to read a lot of what he had written to the early church today, uh, he was also considered one of the greatest men of faith, right? In fact, if, he, if there was a guy to emulate, you know, if someone said, man, you remind me of the Apostle Paul, that was like, yeah, that's awesome, right? And, but he was a person who would have every reason, honestly, to boast about how awesome he was. In fact, in the book of Philippians, he talks about that. He goes, look, I could boast. If anyone could boast, it was me. It's me. I could boast in all these things. But he says this. He says, I, but I boast in Christ, right? But the, I, 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 I love what he wrote in Romans. Some of you might be familiar with this. He wrote this letter to the, to the church in Rome, and he gets really, really honest Probably, if you had a pastor who wrote this, you would sit down with him and go like, all right, pastor, I mean, I know you're human too, but you know, don't beat up on yourself. Don't, don't be so down. Why? And, and, and I just love what he writes here because I think, I think God carefully ordained and planned this so that we who know the greatness of who Paul was, who really was kind of the person who was the first great church planner and who, who you know, wrote many of the books we read to, to gain understanding about who Jesus is and what he's done, what he wants to do and, and, and what he is doing, right? This is the guy who writes this. Listen to this. I mean, if there isn't a sorriest, sad sap I've ever heard one of this, this one, listen to this. He goes, I have discovered this principle in life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. Don't get me wrong, he's basically saying. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Now, every, every single one of us can identify with what Paul said, right? Because we can resonate with what Paul was feeling. I do what I don't want to do, and what I do want to do, I don't do. Ah! How many, is it just me? Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Like you look at your life and you go, really? Like, Really? Oh, come on. Come on, Phil. You knew better than that, right? And then (laughs) Paul goes on and says this. Oh, what a miserable person I am. And he asks the greatest question that you could ask is this. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he goes, 
Thank God. I, you know, this isn't in my notes, but I just, reading this, I just, I feel like I need to say this. Some of us who are maybe living in a cycle of incongruent living towards God's standards, um, and we, we catch ourselves in that, sometimes we, we, we forget that the first thing we probably need to do is give praise to God and recognize what Paul is going to say here. Instead of some of us just get really, you get down in the dumps and you're like, oh, you have to notice that Paul doesn't stay there. He doesn't get, oh, woe is me. Nobody likes me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Long, skinny ones. Yeah, he doesn't do that. But what does he do? He goes, I am terrible. And everyone's going, oh, Paul, you're not that bad. He goes, no, 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 no. I am. Trust me. I know me. But thank God. And he says this. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, Paul will later go on and, and talk about how we are free from sin. And, and I think some of you, and I, again, I don't know, this is not in my notes, but I just think I need to say this. Some of you have, are living a life trapped by sin. And you might even consider yourself a Christian. Here's the crazy thing about it. But for you, the first step of becoming free from sin is acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and saying, what a wretched person I am. And for some of you, that's all you need today. But if you've never done that, or maybe you are someone who says, yeah, I do believe in Jesus. But there are these secret areas in my life. I want to encourage you. There is no sin too far enough that God cannot forgive you from. So he wants to forgive you if you would place your trust in him. Now, that was just for free. The entire reason we needed a savior in Christ is because our imperfections and flaws keep us from having a perfect relationship with our perfect creator, God the Father. And so God sent his son to become the bridge that connects us back to our heavenly father. But having a relationship with God doesn't make us any more perfect. It only, and some of you know this, you come to faith in Jesus and then, you know, you you hope you feel better about your life. But here's what ends up happening. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm really bad. I thought I was bad, but... Now that I've placed my faith in Jesus and I'm embracing his word and I'm reading it and I'm going, oh, goodness gracious, I do that. And it says not to. Mm. And then you're like, I messed up, right? Right? You read it and you're going, wow, oh my goodness. Get rid of all filth, bitterness, rage, malice, sexual morality. Check, check, check. Ah! You know? And so it highlights how messed up we are. And, but here, here's the thing. When we realize that, it gives us a reason to cling to relationship with him because he's the answer, right? And then what it also does, and this is really what I want to talk about, is it not only gives us a reason to cling to God more, but it also gives us a reason to cling to others that are part of the family of faith. And because we're all imperfect people, we are committed to restoration through gentleness. So we just talked about this issue of sin and we're all living in sin and, and how does this work? Well, 
how does this committed community look like? And this is where it gets a little bit frank. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, not many churches kind of talk about this kind of stuff, but we're just going to go ahead and try to tackle it today. And I might offend some of you, but that's okay. We can have coffee. I can say I'm sorry, or, you know, I can say not sorry. And, and just, that's what the Bible says. So, um, but we're committed to restoration through gentleness. And, and here's our text for today. And this is where we, I want to stay just for today. Galatians 6, verse 1, it says this. Dear brothers and sisters, so, so real quick, Brothers and sisters, that means we are a part of what? Family, okay? He's setting the context. He's saying, look, hey, you who are family. And so just in case you think what he's saying is offensive, just remember the context. You know, it might not be okay for you to say something like this to a stranger, but this is family. And family love is a different kind of love, right? And so he says this, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Let's stop there real quick. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious what Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, look, if, if you're caught in sin, if someone in the church is caught in a sin, then those who are spiritual, uh, that phrase, those who are godly, really yeah, that idea of those who are more mature in faith, they're imperfect, but there may be, but, you know, no one is perfect, but they've been maybe walking the, lock, the walk with the Lord a little bit longer. They're more mature. They have a little bit more wisdom. Those of you who are wise, who are spiritual, should restore them. And then Paul does it with a qualifier because he knows some of us. He knows some of us who grew up with dads who caught us doing wrong. And, you know, our dads are like, what are you doing? Right? And that's kind of how we kind of want to treat those who are caught in wrong. And, you know, well, we're the spiritual people of our church and you're caught in wrong. Bam! And so Paul says we should do it what? Gently. Right? Gently. And that really means in humility. And so this means you and I, invariably, all of us at some point, will be caught. Caught in sin. It doesn't, and that word caught doesn't mean like, ha ha, I got you. It literally, it literally means that you were living your life and it, it was like almost a surprise or it was, just, it was an overwhelming, like you didn't realize you'd be overwhelmed by this decision to live life your way instead of God's way, but all of a sudden you are. And some of you know what that's like. You thought, I'd be okay. Last time I did it was okay. And then all of a sudden, you're like, where am I? And I'm overwhelmed by my sin. It's as if the enemy is like setting traps. And then I step into one. And then I get stuck. Anyone, anyone ever been in that situation? And it's at that point when, when, when we are in trouble... And when we need our brothers and our sisters to come and to open the trap that we cannot yet open ourselves and to deliver us and to rescue us so that we can, one, be free again, and two, be back in friendship and community with them. Because here's what I know and what you know about what sin does in our life. It breaks relationships, doesn't it? And oftentimes in our lives, the last thing we want to do when we are caught in the snare of living incongruent lives to God's word and his way 
is be in relationship with other people. And the last thing we want to do, the last thing we want to do is be in relationship with God our Father sometimes. But we need to understand that we are to restore one another. This is what makes a church a church. If the, I mean, if you're a church that just allows people to continue in their sin and you just love everybody, I mean, they're, they're, that's not a church, okay? That's kind of like a, it's, it's like that universalism type of like, well, you're fine and then you're fine and everybody's fine and we just love Jesus. Yay! That's called fans. <laughs> Nobody's life has really changed. But I don't know about you. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to go to a church like that. I don't want to raise my kids up in a church where they can be just themselves. I want them to grow up in a community of faith that will spur them on, spur them on towards love and good deeds, and so that every single time they are with the family of God, they are found to be people who are walking on this great bridge called the church that will support them, that will support them over this gap called their sin, so that they can reach God and be restored to Him, and so that they can help others in return go back and reach and, and help them and cross that bridge of faith. I don't know about you, but this is what I want for me. This is what I want for my kids. And don't you want to go to a church? Don't you want to be part of a church like that? Don't you? Hey, I I wouldn't want to go to be part of anything else. Now, as a warning, Paul says that those of us who are on these sort of rescue missions, some of you, you like these things. You're, You're kind of like on this rescue mission to you know, find out where the people of God or Christians are stuck in their sin. Listen, you just need to be careful. You know, if that's kind of, you're the rescuer, right? You kind of got that propensity to do that. You need to be very careful so that we ourselves don't become tempted and overwhelmed by temptation. That's the qualifier there. So, now, this is why Paul says, you who are godly. Because if, <laughs> if, sometimes the people who want to correct others in, in their sin are usually the people who, are, who just came out of it. And you just need to know like, hey, let those who are spiritual, who are a little bit more, uh, um, I guess, grown up in faith. And you can read about this in Matthew chapter 18, all this kind of different passages of scripture. But this is what we do as followers of Christ. Now, who are the people that are more spiritual? That's kind of a question. Who are the spiritual people? Well, Paul already defined this in Galatians chapter 3, just a little few verses back. And he said this in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Just take a look at this. It says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. What he's going to do, he's going to list what makes spiritual people spiritual people. And if you're wondering, if you're one of these, just listen to this list and see if it defines you. Love. Oh, yeah, I love. Joy. I can be happy. Peace. Now you're meddling. Patience, well, I ain't patient anymore. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This is what Paul is saying. If you read the book of Galatians, this is basically what Paul is trying to make this argument for. Hey, you're part, of, you're part of the Jesus camp now, so be like Jesus. Live according to the Spirit. Don't live according to your flesh. This is what it looks like. And so chapter 5 kind of defines it. It lists it out. And then what you find here in chapter 6 is Paul says, okay, here's how it works. If you're going to be a spiritual person, you're going to be a church that's committed to living lives like this. First, you got to be committed 
to restoration and gentleness. And so, a healthy local church is made up of imperfect people who are new to faith, as well as imperfect people who are mature in their faith. And we believe that the church is a community of imperfect people united by the love of a perfect father. I'm imperfect. I'm flawed. And I know that's hard for you to believe. No, it's easy. Uh, but listen, if you're around her long enough, I'm going to say something or do something that will offend you. And if you've been around for a while and that hasn't happened to you, you just haven't been paying attention, okay? So the, the, the community that is the local church is a bridge. It's a bridge for sinners, not a hotel for saints, It was never meant to house the most holy and closest to God, but to draw those who were furthest from God. And listen, that was all of us at one time. At one time, we were far from God. But guess what? We were drawn by his spirit. And as God does in this day and age, he we are drawn by his people who are the body of Christ. And so whatever your past, listen to this, whatever your past, whatever your past, God wants to redeem it and he wants to make you part of his family. You need to know that today. Whatever your past, God wants to redeem it and make you part of his family. And in this community where a commitment to helping one another learn to submit all alive to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in gentleness and humility, uh, as we live in this community, it's no surprise that living in commitment to each other also means that we are committed to bearing one another's burdens, not loads, okay? Bearing one another's burdens, not loads, because there's a difference. There's a difference, Galatians 6, 2-3, it says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I like how another translation says it. In, says verse 3, it says, If you think you are too important to help someone, then you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. <laughs> right? That's literally what it says. I'm serious. I like that. We'll go with that. But listen, we are committed. A healthy church that is a bridge is committed to bearing one another's burdens. But the question is, what does that even mean? Like, oh, bear your burdens. That sounds like a lyric to an old song. Bear the burden, you know, whatever. I don't know. But to understand what that means, to to understand the importance of what that means, we kind of have to read what else Paul has to say, right? We have to kind of take it in its context. And so Paul says this in verse four to five. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, if you read verse two, he gives us a command and he says, uh, we should carry each other's burdens. And then if you look at verse five, He says, well, carry your own stuff, right? Carry your own load. 
And, and sometimes, you know, we're like, that's a contradiction. See, see, the Bible is always contradicting itself. See, this is why I don't believe it. But you have to remember that the Bible is not written uh, to us. It was written for us, but it's not to us. And so the original language was in Greek. And, and what a beautiful language. And some of you are, have studied it, have looked at it, and you understand it. And what we, don't, what we don't understand as kind of, you know, 21st century English speaking or semi-English speaking, some of us, um, is, is that there, these words are different. It's not the same thing. And it's very, very particular. So the word for load basically means a light responsibility, like a a backpack that you can carry, that you were meant to carry, uh, that you were meant to carry alone. And then the word for burden is something that is, is, it represents this idea of very, very heavy, that not one person, not one person alone could carry it, that it would, it would, in fact, it would be something so heavy that would crush the one. In other words, if the issue in our life is light, if there's an issue in our life, and this is where I might offend you, I'm sorry, but listen, you just kind of need to buck up and be a mature adult and carry it, carry your load so you can boast. If you're going to boast in anything, boast that you did what you were supposed to do, you know? And then the, if, if maybe for you, the issue is a deep one, a heavy burden, and this is where it gets, it's different, where the burden is going to crush you, that's when you will need your brothers and sisters to help you carry it. So uh, just kind of, maybe just for fun, I want to play a little game called Burden or a Load. Can we just try this real quick? And let's see how smart we are. Because I think sometimes like, well, what does it mean? It's easier than you think. It really is easier than you think to understand what is a burden, what is a load. See, a load is something that is a life responsibility that that God sort of puts on your shoulders. And he does... And and here's the point of it, and this is what you need to know. He does it so intentionally to help you mature and grow, to build some strength and win, and to cause you to grow. And what it often does, it builds humility, and it also builds faith. It builds perseverance, and it builds character and hope and such and such things. A burden, on the other hand, is totally different. A burden is the kind of responsibility that comes on your back and you say, oh my, oh my, I cannot carry this. I cannot, this will crush me. This will not make me strong. This will kill me. I can't possibly carry this all by myself. I need my brothers and sisters to come and throw a shoulder underneath me and help me carry the load. Now, Some of us, if we don't distinguish between burdens or loads, here's what happens. The church comes together, people love each other, they develop friendship, they get involved in everyone's lives, and then they try to help one another, but sometimes they end up helping too much. Let me me explain. Because some people use the church as a place where they always treat loads as burdens. They think, great, here's the church. Now, when I have a problem, these people will take care of it. You're my brothers and your sisters. You're, you love me, right? <laughs> yes, we love you. But one of the most loving things we can tell you is buck up. Carry your load. You're an adult. You'll be fine. And it's not the responsibility of the church to allow you to determine what is a burden and what is a load. The church determines that. Have you ever met people that it doesn't matter what happens? 
Everything's a crisis. Ah, everything's an emergency. Ah, what's wrong? What's wrong? Ah, call 911. Helicopters, bring them in. And then, you know, they, they feel, feel like, you know, men should be rappelling down on ropes and, and, and it's a critical emergency. And then they say, help, help, help. And then you kind of get there and you realize it's kind of not a big deal. Not a big deal. In fact, they'll be fine like in 24 hours. They're just freaking out, right? And there's no reason to. Now, like I said, just for fun, let's just, let's play a game real quick. Uh, burden or a load? I'm going to present a situation. You tell me, is it a burden or a load? Here's a, here it is. Couple's married. They got three kids. One of the spouses dies in a wreck. Is that a burden or is that a load? It's a burden. Right. Burden, pretty obvious, right? Here's, here's another one. Some guy doesn't like to work. He skips a lot of days and he ends up getting laid off. He's kind of lazy, doesn't get his resume together, and all of a sudden he's short on a month's rest, a month's rent. Is that a burden or a load? Load. Load. Everyone say load. Load. Just in case you didn't know, that's a load. Okay? It's a load of crap. <laughs> Husband. Oh, we'll edit that out. <laughs> Wasn't in the notes. Husband and wife get married. Here's another situation. The wife gets pregnant. Husband bails and leaves her with the kid. Is she bearing a load or a burden? Burden. Burden. An older member of the congregation gets really sick. is having a hard time living on their own. and They can't afford to go into assisted living. Is this, and they're having hard times with meals and such things. Is this a burden or a load? Burden. You're smart people. So we are committed to bearing one another's burdens, not loads, because healthy churches are bridges that support burdens, not loads. And if we're going to be a healthy church, we need to ask ourselves, where is my tendency toward treating everything like a load and not going for help when I need it with my brothers and sisters? Or are you on the other side, you treat everything like a burden and you just kind of freak out at everything when it's not a big deal. The theme song of your life, of your life is kind of like, ah, freak out. Ah, freak out. You know, that's kind of your theme song. It's my oldest son's theme song, so don't tell him I said that. <laughs> oh no, I spilled water on my shirt. Help me bury this burden, Dad. You're a pastor after all. And if I want to be part of making sure that this bridge we call the local church is maintained and stays healthy, I have to be a person who says this. Look, I need to call for help when I have burdens, but the rest of the time I should spend my time looking for people with burdens and serving them. Because as I help them, someday I will need help and they will help me. That's what a healthy community looks like. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a church where people love each other and they're involved in each other's lives. I want to be part of a church where discipline is done and people that are caught in sin are not shunned away, but they are brought back into restoration and right fellowship and also right living. I want to be part of a church where we distinguish between burdens and loads, between traps you've gotten yourself into and, and you need to kind of get yourself out of and traps that you've gotten yourself into that you really can't get out of and so you do need some help. I want to be a church that can distinguish that. 
And none of this can happen outside of community because community is the structure of the church that cannot be fracture critical. If we become a church without the kind of community defined by the scriptures, (laughs) we may look fine. People will say that we're safe, but listen, we are one accident away from the whole thing falling down. This is why it's important. I, I, now, I'll be honest with you. I think I, think I go to that kind of church. I, I, I think we are a church that are doing these things, and I'm so excited about it. But some of you don't know what that looks like yet. You're kind of on the periphery, and you don't have the ability to know what kind of church that is, because you maybe just kind of attend on Sundays. But the goal of this series is really simple. I want each of us to lean, listen, I'm not saying your whole life. I'm just saying just lean a little more than you're currently leaning into what it means to be part of the larger community that is the local church. And I want you to do it by at least trying to be with a smaller community. For what reason? So that you would know, first and foremost, that you're connected to the family. But second, so that you would be a part of what God is doing in this world. Now, you might think, I tried a group once, and it it wasn't a great experience for me. I can totally respect that. I get that. I've been part of some really weird groups, okay? But listen, at some point, you have to lean into the larger community. I mean, some of you, you had a bad haircut, right? But it didn't stop you from getting haircuts. Some of you had bad pizza, and you still eat pizza, Some of you think, I tried community once, but it was filled with a bunch of fake and hypocritical people. Well, some of you have seen the meme, right? Not going to community because of fake and hypocritical people is kind of like not going to gym because of -of out-of-shape people. Ah, there's out-of-shape people all over here. Ah, I'm not going here. Listen, let's all put on our big boy and big girl pants and stop making excuses. And let's engage in community because community is the foundation to the structure of how the church as a bridge not only connects, but also supports people on their journey from where they are to where God wants them to be. And if you're not part of a community that is, that is in the rhythms of preaching the gospel to each other, spurring each other towards loves and good deeds, not only just getting together, but hanging out, but but studying God's word and praying for one another and sharing a communion. If you're not in a community that does that, find one, start one. I will help you. Or take your circle of influence and say, hey, let's just do this. Let's get this right. Let's be a community that lives life on mission. I'll help you. And this is what I hope our church will look like. This is what I hope for all of us. And so God wants you to be someplace when we are here. And the bridge that gets us from here to there is the bridge that connects us and supports us that is called the local church. And so this is my invitation to all of you. Come on, let's be part of the local church. And let's be a church that's built to last.